Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. Today is Monday, January 16th, 2023. This is edition number six of season eight of the Morning Devotional. We are working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. This morning we're going to we're going to consider the second part of paragraph six of the opening chapter of the Westminster Confession. Uh, dealing primarily with the phrase, good and necessary consequence. Let's pray first, and then we'll look at this matter together this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to your word, and we come to study this matter of good and necessary consequence and how that affects the way we look at your word, how we interpret your word, we pray that you'd give us grace and guidance, that you would show forth your favor to us, that You would forgive us for our sins, and you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to walk in your ways, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, paragraph 6, we've already looked at matters related to paragraph 6, especially the question of the inward illumination of the Spirit as it affects it or as it relates to the way in which we read the Bible. That is to say that we can't really understand anything in Scripture unless the Spirit of God teaches us. It doesn't really matter how smart your pastor is. It doesn't really matter how smart you are. What matters is that the Spirit is the one who teaches us. And so He must open our eyes and our ears to the truth. He must cause us to see that which is already present and given in God's Word. What we didn't discuss and we will discuss today is this phrase that's in the very beginning, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence, may be deduced from Scripture. Now, the first half of that phrase is very easy, and none of us, nobody quibbles with this, nobody has any difficulties with the fact that anything that is expressly set down in the Word of God is the Word of God. It's, it's on its face what it is. For instance, let me give you an example. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We pretty much know what that means when we read it. When, we, when it says, thou shalt not murder... We know what it means when we read it. Of course, it means more than just the obvious taking away of another person's life, but it doesn't mean less than that either. And so those are the kinds of things that are just clear, direct statements of the Bible that are abundantly obvious. It takes almost no intelligence whatsoever to understand. It's just on its face what it is. But there are many doctrines and there are many beliefs that we hold to that we do not have an express statement of the Bible to, uh, to, uh, to support that doctrine. Uh, for instance, the doctrine of the Trinity is articulated by the Westminster Standards that there's one God, three persons, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. There's no verse that says that. But we need to uh, reason uh, properly and rightly uh, to the conclusion And we know that all of Scripture, as we look at it together and as we rightly understand it, does say that there's one God, three persons, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And it's clear from Scripture, as we look at various parts of Scripture, why we draw that conclusion. This phrase, good and necessary consequence, is vitally important to our right understanding of biblical interpretation. And while I quibble with my Baptist brothers, especially those of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, that have removed this phrase, frankly, I find it troubling that it's gone uh, because I don't see how you can actually preach Scripture without 
the concept of good and necessary consequence. How is it you to exposit and explain? How are you to uh, apply uh, well the word of God when good and necessary consequence is not part of your interpretive frame? Well, thankfully, within the Presbyterian tradition, within the Reformed tradition, uh, the Westminster Assembly, the divines at Westminster understood the necessity of this phrase because it's everywhere necessary because the Bible makes it necessary. It can't possibly speak, speak explicitly about every conceivable thing that, God's, that we as God's people may run into. Now, I'm very, help, uh, very thankful for a, a wonderful little booklet put out by um, um, Reformation Heritage Books. Um, it was penned uh, the author of this little book it was pen, it, it is one of my professors at Greenville Seminary, Dr. Dr. Ryan McGraw. The title of the book is By Good and Necessary Consequence. And I want to just dip into this book just a little bit to try to uh, flesh out for us even further why this is so important. And so I'm going to read. Uh, I don't normally do this on the devotional, read to you. Uh, you know how to read, but you may not have an access to this book um, and, and here it is right here, um, but I would encourage you to get it if you haven't. It's a wonderful treatment on this subject. But Dr. McGraw states here in, in, on page three of the book under the chapter, Biblical Foundations for this phrase, in the section defining the phrase, he says, a definition of good and necessary consequences already implicit in the first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Good and necessary consequences distinguished from matters concerning God's glory, man's salvation, and faith or life that are expressly set down in Scripture. Now, I've already commented on, commented on that point. This includes direct precepts, prohibitions, statements of truth, and clearly approved examples. According to this statement, the term good and necessary consequence refers to doctrines and precepts that are truly contained in and intended by the divine author of Scripture, yet are not found or stated on the surface of the text and must be legitimately inferred from, from one or more passages of Scripture. As the phrase indicates, such inferences must be good or legitimately drawn from the text of Scripture. In addition, they must be necessary as opposed to imposed or arbitrary. Now, he does give an example here, uh, uh, taken from the pen of the Scottish Presbyterian James Banner, Bannerman, uh, a useful illustration of this particular concept. And I hope this illustration then would, is going to help you understand f more fully uh, this point. But he, he says here that in Genesis 1.1 we read, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now we read that, we know what that means. God created the heavens and the earth. That would be an example of a statement that is clearly put down or expressly set down in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, but there are things we can learn beyond just that express statement from that verse. And he goes on to say that. He says, The inferences, inferences that may and must be drawn from this passage are, one, that God and nature are distinct as opposed to pantheism. Now, if you think about that, God and nature are distinct from one another, as opposed to the, to the views of pantheism. When you now read the verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you see that very plainly, don't you? It's quite clear, it's quite obvious that that verse is saying that, although it's not saying it 
expressly in the words that we might prefer. Second, that matter had a beginning and that only God is eternal as opposed to various forms of materialism. That matter had a beginning. If it was created, it had a beginning. Now again, you read that verse in Genesis 1-1 and you think to yourself, wow, well that's just obvious. But it doesn't say that, does it? But it does say that. You see, it is there. It's a good and necessary consequence of the opening verse of the Bible. Third, that God created matter out of nothing without using any pre-existing materials as opposed to various theories of emanation. Again, it's in the verse, but it's not stated in the words that we we would prefer. But that statement of truth is, in fact, what is said in the very opening verse of the Bible. And so Dr. McGraw goes on and he says, to ensure that the conclusions obtained by use of this principle are truly biblical, the premises must be biblically certain. In the first part of the example given from Genesis 1-1, it is certain that God is the creator of heaven and earth. Nature is included in the heaven and the earth that God made. Therefore, it is a necessary and clear conclusion that God and nature are distinct. And so I hope this example is useful to you as you see other matters in Scripture that are born out of or drawn out of good and necessary consequence. Conclusions made. Again, the assertion, the, 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 um, as Dr. McGraw put it, the conclusions obtained by use of this principle must be truly biblical. The premises must be biblically certain. The premises must be biblically certain. Now, another point to make about this issue of good and necessary consequence is this, that those items, those things that are drawn out of the Word of God by good and necessary consequence are as authoritative as if they were actually explicitly stated in the Word of God. There is no difference between the explicit statements of Scripture and the inferred statements of Scripture born from good and necessary consequence. They're both true. One is explicit, one is implicit. It doesn't change the truth value of the conclusion. And so this is a very important doctrine. This is a very important point in the Westminster Standards, very important point in the opening chapter because it affects the issue of interpretation. And frankly, it affects the ability to preach God's Word to preach it faithfully to the people of God in their circumstance of life. For the Bible was written many years ago, many, many years ago, and in a world that none of us have probably ever been to, in circumstances that none of us have ever been in, but yet it still applies to us because of good and necessary consequence. And so we can rightly then say that all, all Scripture is indeed sufficient for whatever circumstance, whatever issue we find, And we draw those things out of good and necessary consequence in which then, therefore, we're able to rightly apply the Word of God into the hearts and minds of your people. Now look, whether a man says he denies good and necessary consequence from the Bible or not, the proof is in the pudding. If he expounds on Scripture, if he elaborates on Scripture, if he draws conclusions that aren't explicitly set down in Scripture, he is drawing on the principle of good and necessary consequence whether he likes it or not. If we are to deny the concept of good and necessary consequence, then the only thing that we should be doing in worship on the Lord's Day is standing up, reading the Bible, verse by verse, and sit down. Make no comments. But no, we do, don't we? Because that's what preaching is. 
Preaching is elaborating on the text. Preaching is amplifying the text. Preaching is getting to the root of the text. Preaching is drawing out of the text legitimate applications and doctrines that are by good and necessary consequence present there already and illuminated by the Spirit of God that we might then understand them. And so, even those that deny good and necessary consequence, uh, they do it every Lord's Day. And so they're hardly consistent in their denial of this particular point. Perhaps it's uh, fair to say that some deny it because they don't really know what they're talking about when it comes to this matter in the first place. And so they deny it out of ignorance and uh, be that as it may. But this is a critical issue, and so I determined to spend just this time on it, recognizing, of course, that even in these matters, as the Confession clearly says, and as we read from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, it requires the Spirit of God. Good and necessary consequence requires the Spirit of God, just as the explicit statements of Scripture require the Spirit of God if we're ever to understand these things. And so, as I said last time, we need to always remember, as we read God's Word, study God's Word, work on sermons, prepare God's Word, teach our families family worship, as we have our Sunday school classes, our Bible studies, we must pray. We must lean upon the Spirit, depend on Him that He might teach us all things. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so, until the Tuesday edition... When we look at paragraphs 7 and 8 of the opening chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith, may the Lord help you today to serve Him. May you read His Word, meditate upon it, determined to do all that it says. God bless.